is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. My name is Landon Buford. I'm here uh, with 1.37 p.m. And our special guest today is the legendary Mark Cuban. How are you, sir? What up, LB? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm trying to st- stay warm in this, you know, cold weather powers out. You know how that goes. But uh, we're still here, so that's a blessing. That's all that matters. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. You made a little stir last week with this national anthem thing. Uh, yep. A week later, um, what's, uh, what's your stance on, on, on the anthem a week later? Nothing's changed. I mean, nothing's changed. Oh, hold on, I'm sorry. Let me just figure that. Um, no, you're good. Yeah, because all of our everything's kind of messy still here. Um, you know, it, there were a couple things. One, I'm a national anthem guy. That's just you know the way I was raised. It was a ha- it's a habit more than anything else. And over time, I've learned that not everybody looked at the national anthem the way I do, right? And so, you know, and, and then when that happens, the way I am, you start doing your homework. And you read about Francis Scott Key and you read about, you know, the second, third and fourth verses. And it's understandable. There's references to free men and slave and this and that. And you can see how it makes people uncomfortable. But that said, um, you know, people have habits. And for me, for 20 years um, with the Mavs, I'd always be out there. Well, not even always. I might even be in my bunker, right? In my mm-hmm. in my little office before a game. And I'll stand and put my hand over my heart. And then you walk out, whether it's at a Mavs game at home or on the road. And during the anthem, the, the, the stands aren't full, right? People mm-hmm. are walking around the concourse, not caring, right? You know, and, and you if you walk on the concourse, and I did just to see what people did in response to the anthem, some stop, but most don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not important enough to them to get there on time for it. It's not important enough for them to stop on the concourse. For some, they're not going to put a beer down. Some won't even take their hats off. Mm-hmm. That always bothered me. If this is so important to us, and it is to me, I mean, my dad was military, fought in two wars, was wounded. My uncle was in the Air Force, fought in two wars. You know, if it's so important, why do we disrespect like, like that? And it always bothered me. And then over the last couple of years, um, the anthem kind of got weaponized where, you know, certain people felt like their form of patriotism was the only form of patriotism. And, you know, if you didn't do it their way, then you weren't patriotic. You didn't love this country. And to me, that was wrong. You know, there's no one way to love this country. That's the definition of liberty, right? You get to love this country or not, you know, how you see fit. And I truly believe 99.99% of the people in this country love this country, right? There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Some don't, but 99% do. Um, but there were there are people now, particularly you know the way things are politically, that feel like their way of honoring our amazing country is the only way to honor our country. And they try to weaponize against it. And we saw that with our players. So going into the season, you know, having coming out, out of the bubble, where there were a lot, of, you know, where there are a lot of of messages and a lot of emotion, I was like, okay, you know, one, people didn't fully respect it in the first place, which really bothered me. Two, you know, everybody was watching to see what people did with the anthem those first couple games, anyways. And three, we weren't going to have fans, you know. So let's see what happens if we didn't play it. 
And mm. so that's what I did, you know? And so I just didn't play it and wanted to see what happened. And after, you know, after the lineup and everything, I always go over to our, to Scooter, our PR guy and say, anybody say anything? Not a word. Did you tell the other team and their media what was going on? Told everybody. No one said mm -hmm. a word. No. Next game, something. Next game, same thing. Next game, same thing. Next game, same thing. Till we get to the 13th game, right? Mm -hmm. and Kato. I kind of, <laughs> yeah, of forgot about that we weren't playing the anthem. It was kind of normalized, right? And um, then um, somebody said something, a reporter said something, and that's when everybody found out. And it was never a situation where we weren't going to play the anthem ever. That was not it. Mm -hmm. Never a situation where I was against the anthem. It was it was really a situation. Well, let's see what what happens because, you know, if people didn't care enough to be there on time during the game, if they didn't care enough to stop on the concourse, would they even notice that it was being played? And of course, we didn't have fans, so you can't say right. everybody noticed. But um, at the same time. You know the media, the other team, no one, no one, our team, no one said a word. Um, and so it was like, okay, you know. And then, then the shitstorm hit, and I was like, okay, you know, it wasn't like we said we weren't going to play the anthem. There's a lot of misreporting. You right. know, I shut down the anthem, the anthem. I canceled the anthem. I said we weren't <laughs> going to play the anthem. None of that was true. Um, the only thing I actually, only comment I actually made to anybody in the media was confirming that we hadn't played it for those first 13 games. That was it. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew, you know, having talked to the NBA that um, they were going to pretty much make us play it, <laughs> you know, the minute when we got fans back in. And we still <laughs> don't have fans. And the only fans we have are the fans we let in for free that have been vaccinated, that are healthcare, first responder, military. You know, if you've been vaccinated mm -hmm. and fit those categories and we have a slot for you, we'll let you in. Um, so, you know, it just really blew up. But nobody really talked to me about, you know, got any facts. And, and so, <laughs> which, is, which is exactly what you expect. But, you know, the, the bottom line, you know, in going through this, you know, at least what I've taken from it is, you know, so I, I'm, I'm the type of person when, when something like this happens, I just dig in. I want to learn everything related to it, right? And there's only 34%. Uh, well, let me take a step back. If you think about where most people experience the national anthem, it's military events and sporting events. That's it. Where else are you going to see it? And I looked it up and there's literally, you know, data on this. Only 34% of Americans go to sporting events. That's it. And, you know, let's just say 10% more are related or involved in the military somehow and experience it that way. So that's more than half the people in this country that don't really have a connection or experience the national anthem in person. Maybe they see it on TV now and then. And I would love, love, love to be a fly in the wall in their living rooms to see if before, you know, a race or before a game or before a match, whatever, if any of them stand up in their living room and put their hand over their heart because it's that, that important to them. And so, you know, my, so my response to people has been, you know, and there's been a lot of people who emailed me and, and I'm like, look, you know, I love this country. Don't ever question my patriotism. You know, that, you know, the, the whole definition of liberty is we all get to love this country our own way. And you don't get to tell anybody, I don't get to tell anybody how to love this country. Period. End of story. And if you, you know, rather than questioning people's patriotism, just ask them a simple question. This is what I would say to people in email. Do you love your country? Yes or no? And 
almost all are going to say yes. And then all you do is say thank you. You don't say, how do you love it, right? You know? <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, it's not like in, you know, I'm Jewish. So there's multiple different versions of Judaism, right? Orthodox, reform, da, da. There's multiple versions of Christianity. Nobody says, oh, well, well, maybe some people do. But most people, the vast majority of people don't say, your version's wrong, my version's right. We just accept right. that, you know, and you, you, you know, love your God the way you choose. And, and that's part of this country as well. And patriotism should be the same way. No one gets a chance. No one has the right to tell somebody else how to love their country. No one has, you know, you, I mean, you have the right to question anybody on anything. Right. But the definition of liberty, right? The definition of liberty is being able to love your country the way you choose. And anybody trying to tell you what's right or wrong about that is, is diminishing your liberty. It's just wrong. And that's what's really bothered me. And and it's not, again, it's it's not that we're not going to play the anthem. You know, um, we are, obviously, and we have been. We have no interest in, you know, in, I don't have a problem with the, the anthem playing. But I think going forward, we're not going to commercialize, commercialize. And I still have to, I want to talk to our folks and get their feedback and get different perspectives. But, you know, my initial thought is to stop bringing in people, right? To, to sing it because that turns into an audition or a promotion, mm -hmm. right? And if we're really going to honor our country in the anthem, it shouldn't be a promotion for somebody. Hey, check out my new single. Here's the new, here's the national anthem. Or, you know, you haven't heard me, but here, you know, here's my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. You know, let me, let me sing the national anthem, right? You know, and even kids, it's great to see them out there sometimes um, or all, all, all the time, right? But at the same time, it's, you know, some there's there's I, I just think maybe the better way is just to play a recorded version that's short and to the point, you know, 75 seconds long and then get to the game. And, you know, and I think it's a valid question to ask people if, you know, 66, let's say 55 percent of the people in this country don't experience the national anthem. If it's truly, a, you know, an indication of patriotism, then why aren't you demanding that the national anthem be played places where that those the rest of the country gets to hear it and stand and stand for it. Why aren't we playing in places where there are a lot of people? Or maybe we need to just say, you know what? Let everybody love this country the way they choose because that that is who we really are. That's what makes this country special. And you know, questioning people's patriotism, you know, divides us, right? The whole idea that you have to be a patriot the way that mm -hmm. I want you to be. You have to honor this country the way I want you to. It's not unifying. That's as divisive as it comes. And, you know, we need to have conversations with those people and ask them why you're not willing to accept others who want to honor this country the way they say they fit. You know, and, and I know I'm, I'm just going on and on, but, you know, I get I get so many people. Well, you know. My uncle, you know, my dad, my my loved one, whoever, you know, served this country honorably and, and lost their lives. And, and we thank every single one of them. You guys, you know, Lennon, you know, we do yeah. as much for as anybody we we started seats for soldiers 15 years ago my brother-in-law did and you know no one's copied it <laughs> you know yeah right. we give all those you know we do as you know the fallen patriot fund there's so many things that we do um that you know you can't the whole idea that this or the anthem at all is is you know it's just weaponizing patriotism that's the conversation we really need to have you know, why don't we just ask people, do you love this country? And if you do, thank you. And if you don't, you know what? Can I help? It's your choice, but can I help? 
no hate, you know, no coercion, no my way or the highway. Let's let's just do this together and and just unify over the love we have for our country rather than rather than how we do it. Um, speak. You speak. You spoke about vaccinations. You know, with uh, 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 first responders, military, etc., that have been vaccinated. Obviously, we're hearing more and more what Miami's doing with um, with the canine dogs able to sense uh, uh, the COVID nineteen um, not vaccine, but the uh, virus. Uh-huh. Could you see like the, not only you guys doing it, but the rest of the league doing it? Is that something that you guys are talking about in meetings right now, or do you? Yeah, um, but I'd rather, you know, the vaccinations are happening so quickly right now. They've really amplified where, you know, a couple million people plus a day are getting vaccinated and those numbers are going to accelerate. And so, you know, as we get, you know, towards the end of March, April, when more than half the people are vaccinated, I think that's going to be kind of the turning point. I think that's, excuse me, where we're going to say, OK, you know, now enough people are vaccinated, you know, we'll stress less. So I don't think we need to go to all those extra things. And um, I think it's going to happen sooner and better than people expect that we, you know, start approaching that herd immunity. Okay. And then um, I heard that you have uh, invested in, uh, obviously you're on, you're on Clubhouse, but you've in, uh, invested in something that is competitive that can possibly monetize for podcasters. Yeah, guys or like you, that, guy, yeah. like myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Fireside Chat, and um, it's not going to be out for a few months, but effectively, it's podcasting 2.0. And what it says is, you know, when you sit down, like if you go to a conference or whatever, and you sit down and there's a moderator and people asking questions, or there might be a, a keynote speaker, and then they open it up to questions, we'll allow, we'll, we'll enable that um, using audio so that you can invite whoever you want to your quote unquote keynote or podcast. Um, you can take questions from them. Um, you can interact with them. They'll have, you know, the features where they can applaud and stuff like that and create noise. So you get the feedback, but they'll also be able to tip you. You'll also be able to save it. You know, Clubhouse is meant to be in the moment and that's great. But with with Fireside Chat, you'll be able to have that entire conversation and then save it so that, you know, people can download it and listen to the whole thing. And, and that, you know, that's what I think is missing as much as anything. So you want that interactivity, you want that, you know, um, spontaneity, but you want it to, to live on forever. And so mm-hmm. people can listen to it like they're used to, as opposed to being in one spot at one time, like Clubhouse is. Okay. Um, uh, I know, obviously, because of COVID, I mean, there hasn't been much news about it, but is there any update on Durek's statue? What's the, what's the current yeah, status of it? We hired the um, the sculptor and I signed all the paperwork, so he's working on it. When? I don't know. You know, you got to let an artist, an artiste be an artiste. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing, right? And so whenever he's ready, he's ready. Um, but yeah, it's being worked on as we speak. What are your thoughts about TikTok? Obviously, you're on there with your daughters and, yeah. you know, doing your thing. But what, what do you think about the actual platform itself? You know, it's interesting. Um, the cool part about it, you know, as a tech geek, I look at the the tech side of it and I think it has a lot of applications for a lot of other distribution of content. You know, the, you know, in traditional social media, you know, they it's all driven by advertising first. Right. Mm-hmm. How can you know it's not it used to be about who do you follow? And if you followed somebody, you'd get all their posts. Right. And then it'd be in, in um, order by time. 
and chronological order. And so, and that would be cool, right? And then mm -hmm. as artificial intelligence started jumping in, you know, like Facebook, they'll optimize for what you like to hear, but that maximizes their ad revenue. Whereas mm -hmm. with TikTok, it doesn't appear anyways that it's an ad maximization strategy. It's just, it looks at all the videos you watch and gives you more of those types of videos, even if it's not somebody you follow. So I watch a lot of basketball highlights. My son does. My son also likes to watch um, um, business related stuff, which is crazy for an 11 year old, right? And so his feed is different than mine, which is different than my daughter's. My daughters know every dance, Renegade, Ren <laughs> me and my thousand dollar fan, a uh, whole lot of, you know, but, um, you know, so they get a different feed and that's the beauty of TikTok. And I've said it to the NBA that, you know, kids may not be willing in the, in, you know, now or in the future to, to sit for a whole NBA game. And so we may have to deliver our games more like a TikTok presentation where instead of just a whole flow of the entire game, if this is somebody who likes dunks, every dunk is coming from the Mavs versus the Blazers, right? Mm -hmm. um, if somebody likes Luca, every every possession with Luca is coming nonstop, right? And maybe if Luca's out of the game, you you know you're getting you know a whole lot of chomping going on videos, you know, or you're you know you're getting different videos um, until Luca's back in the game, and you know people are just going to consume differently. But in a digital world, you have to give people content how they want, where they want, when they want it you know, at the price they want it at. And that that's what's changing. And so TikTok isn't just about dance videos. It's really about, you know, demonstrating to us how artificial intelligence will change the presentation of content going forward. And we have to adapt with it. Just like, you know, we've always had, you know, for, for 25 years, I've known that streaming was going to be the way that, that content is delivered. Now we have to realize that it's not just about full games for, for younger kids in particular. I can sit there and watch a game and be thrilled to death, right? You know, mm -hmm. this stuff, I just love watching basketball. Um, I watch kids basketball, and, you know, and I'll, if, there, if I'm walking down the street and there's a game in the park, I'll watch that basketball. But not everybody's like that. And so you've mm -hmm. got to give everybody the, the game the way they want it, how they want it, where and when they want it. And I think TikTok right now is probably the best model for Gen Z. Um, you guys just released a video for, you know, the troops, um, et cetera, and the, the game. Obviously, you guys played it um, at the Pelican games that I was at. I don't know if you guys played it last night, but um, Jason Kidd was featured in that film. Um, do you think people will remember him as a Maverick or a New Jersey Net or Brooklyn Net now? A Mav because he won a championship. You know, he was drafted into the Mavericks. He won a championship with us. You know, he won the, the co-rookie of the year with us. And so, yeah, I think it and I think he wants to be remembered as a Mavericks as well. Do you think with the success last year and obviously he's I mean, he had success in Milwaukee as well and New Jersey, well, somewhat in, in uh, Brooklyn. Do you think that he'll get another head coaching job somewhere? I think so. But I don't know. You know, hiring a head coach is the hardest thing to do in all of professional sports because people who are, who are applying for head coaching jobs are smart. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they know what's wrong with your team because they can see it from the outside. Right. And, and they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're close to the business and they get to talk to people around the league. And so they, you know, they, they come in prepared and they come in ready to tell you how to make your team better and what you were doing wrong and what they'll do. Right. Um, and so it's the hardest thing to do. Um, but Jay Kidd knows people. He, he knows the game incredibly well. He has connections to to. Players, he's, you know, players look up to him. Um, 
So I think, yeah, I think there's a really good chance Jay Kidd will be back head coaching again. Um, uh, obviously, uh, let me see, uh, Kobe, um, obviously a, you know, icon, you know, uh, left his stamp on this world. What do you think his legacy will be moving forward for future generations that didn't get a chance to see him play? You know, Baba mentality, you know, just set your mind, get your mind right and do the work and go for it. And that by focus and effort and, you know, never quitting, you know, you can be something special. And I think that's the legacy. And I think, you know, you saw it with Gianna um, that she had it, you know, and I, I think that's really what has been really special about Kobe, the human being that, you know, he could convey it to his family, his daughter. And I think people recognize that if it's something his daughter could do, then it's something they can do. Do you think that uh, obviously he's mentioned he didn't want to be part of an ownership team before he because he's done it and it wasn't fun for him. But do you think Gianni, if she was to play, if she was still here with us and they were both still with you think that he would join you in the ownership box somewhere as far as WNBA possibly? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, after he retired, Kobe and I would talk business every now and then. And I would tell him, you know, now you're on my turf and I get to kick your ass. <laughs> and, and so – you know, it's just I think he was he was realizing he, he could be just as competitive in the business world as he could in the sports world. And there's so many there's so many avenues to compete in business that, you know, maybe he would have. But I, I think he was really just finding his way with business and, and he would have figured out one way or the other. I know you got the best of him in 2011 and part of that, you know, the championship run, but not every. Everybody talks about this game. I wanted to talk to you about it before he passed, but I know you weren't in the mood at the time. But the 62 against you guys in in three quarters, do you think he would have caught Wilt that night if he would have played the fourth quarter into maybe possibly overtime? I know they were up 30, but you the way we were playing. The way we were playing. <laughs> like, just on his ass. Guys look at me and they're like, it's Kobe, you know, and, you know, it just happens. Um, <laughs> he scored 120. I, I, I could have saw it happen. DA said he wasn't talking at, at all. Like he was just giving you guys the silent treatment and just just going yeah, off pretty much. But that's typically yeah, everything. Um, there's a lot of chatter about expansion. I mean, me and you talk about I've talked about this in private. Um, obviously, I'm from Seattle. Um, uh, Adam Silver's been talking about it more and more. Um, Obviously, you can't reveal when it, when it happens, but as a as a governing um, member of the NBA, what is the city of Seattle or the NBA missing by not having a team in Seattle? I know you voted for them to stay, but what are they missing as a governing uh, body in the a NBA? A lot of corporate sponsorship, a lot of great fans, right? A lot of people who miss the NBA. And so we're missing a lot by not being there. Um, Oklahoma City has been a great market. I can't take anything away from them, but, you know, it's, it's you know, and I'm not – saying anything I haven't said before, but I think there's, you know, I think there is a future where Seattle has a team. I just don't know when.
what were you, I guess, what were your, no, you, I mean, obviously you probably traveled there on your free time, but not NBA purposes, but what were some of the shops or some of the, th you know, things that you like to visit while you were in town uh, for that Seattle trip? Oh, I mean, Pike's Market, right? Walking on the um, waterfront. Um, you know, I had, you know, when I owned Landmark Theaters with Todd, we had theaters there. So I would just go, I would go to the movies and go to the <laughs> theaters. Um, uh, I got a couple more questions for you. Um, you I know you have a prize uh, uh, card collection. I know as a kid, you were a baseball collector. But right now, what is in your baseball card collection? And then also, what is in your basketball card collection right now? See, I got my Carl um, Ted Klazuski card. I got my Shaq card. I got a bunch of Luca rookie cards. <laughs> yeah, my pride possession is here somewhere. Because um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, I've got a John Brisker Pittsburgh Hypers card somewhere. Um, and that's my number one possession. I got um, Kobe uniform cloth card. So, you know, I got a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but you know, the now I'm doing a lot of um, moments on Top Shot too, right? So I'm doing a lot of digital I know I, I was on a um I was on a clubhouse sitting with Roz the last the last three weeks. Um I didn't hop on the one that um that the Mavericks played the Warriors until late, so I didn't get a chance to hear a bunch. But yeah, the, like two weeks prior to that, they uh, introduced us into Potshot. They had one of the community members that is on the uh, the the staff tell us about it. So yeah, I know so you know as a collector, once you get with digital, your initial thought is you know I can't touch it, right? I can't. I can't pick it up and right. play with it. And, you know, you don't have it here just to mess with it, right? But then this is also the hassle, right? Because obviously, you know, I don't have my Mark Jackson with the murderers in the back card, right? You know, you got to keep it in good shape and you got to manage it. <laughs> and so um, that can be a hassle. With digital, mm -hmm. once, you know, once you own it, you own it. It's yours. You have that feel. It's kind of like StockX, right? Stock mm -hmm. action, you can collect shoes all you want, but you don't actually touch the shoes, right? Right. They, they store them up there, and you just want them the value to go up. With Top Shots, it's the exact same way, only it's digital. And so you get that sense of ownership. So I've been in there, you know, you can buy, like, they'll have series with 15,000 moments in it. And so those are cheap, right? The lower serial number cards. So when Josh Green or Maxi or Jalen pop up as the low number for two or three bucks, I scarf them all up for any Mavs players, right? And I got a couple of Luca moments and I got KP and all, you know, anybody that's mad that is on there. And it's just as cool, right? I get to look at it online and print it out or whatever. But um, I, I really think digital collectibles has a real future simply because, you know, when I want to sell one or buy one, it takes two seconds, right? Whereas with a physical card, I got to, you know, if I'm buying one, it's got to be graded, right? Do I trust the person for grading it? Are they going to ship it right? Is it going to get messed up in shipping? And, you know, same thing if I'm selling one, you know, or if I'm going to go to a card store and try to do it, you got to negotiate because they got, you know, it's retail and you got to deal with it. And there's so many hassles, whereas with digital, it's bam, 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 bam. And so to me, that's better. Or, you know, and I also think for trading card collectibles, you'll see a lot more StockX type approach where it's just stored for you. You know, mm -hmm. it's just an approved grading that everybody agrees on. So, you know, I think the trading card, you know, trading cards, obviously that more and more people are getting into it because the prices are going up and up and up. And that always happens um, when, when prices go up. But I think it's going to change significantly.
you they speak in a moment. Did they have the Luca moment where he uh, hits the shot against the Blazers? No. And then obviously the one against the Clippers. No. Um, they, there's just set moments and they add, you know, new packs every now and then. But it's not like these are only the biggest moments, you know, for players. They're moments actually that the NBA right. picks and provides to them. But okay. it's just cool. You know, when you collect a card, you just want to have, you know, I, I got my Maxi Kleba card, right? And I got my Jalen Brunson card. Not every card. It's not like we worry about the picture on the card, right? No one looks right. at, you know, my Luca card where my Chandler Parsons card that cost me $2. And says, "Oh wow, that's that, that is a great play by Chandler, right? No, it's just a picture of Chandler, and nobody cares, right? Or here's my John Brisker card, right, from the Pittsburgh Condors. That's like I took it out of its little wrapper uh, plastic, but um, mm. this is like my favorite card from from being a kid. But no one cares. It's just a, a portrait of John Brisker, um, and so it's just different. And, and on the moments, it's kind of the same thing. It's just the guy. It's not even about the play." I know a couple of weeks ago, um, now you don't have to give me the parameters of the conversation because that's private, but I know you spoke to the team and they've went on a five out of seven. Uh, they've last, they've won the last five out of seven since your speech. Um, yeah. I guess without asking me specifically what you said, how do you feel they felt after that speech? Because obviously they've won the last five out of seven. You know, we, when you go through a six game losing streak, everybody's down, right? And sometimes it's because you played really bad. And sometimes it's because the circumstances were against you. And, you know, right now we are going through the, the first two game break, two day break that we've had the entire season. Right. And playing every other day and sometimes, you know, three games and four nights, five games and seven nights that wears you down. Now, add to that, we had five guys out um, for COVID protocols, four of whom were sick. And you don't lose five of your top seven rotation guys, or top eight, I guess, in some mm -hmm. cases, rotation guys, and just say everything's normal, right? You, it just doesn't happen like that. And that's what I told them, that, you know, we had four guys sick. The Wizards had seven. No one else had anything close. And for the Wizards, they got six games off, right? You know, they, they didn't play those six games, and they got a week to prepare. We didn't, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the Wizards still are, are still trying to recover from it. And then the Grizzlies, same thing. They only lost two players, one rotation player, but they um, to to that had the virus. But because of contact tracing, they couldn't field enough players. So they had six games proposed uh, postponed, and they got a week off too. When mm -hmm. John Moran was sick, was hurt rather, right? And and you know it gave him time to recover, if I remember the the dates right. And so. You know, I told him, look, on the second half of the season, now that all plays in our favor, right? Those those other teams have got to make up those games, right? The teams that had games postponed have got to make them up. And we only have one game that was postponed against Pelicans, and that's when we were healthy. And so we're gonna mm -hmm. have we're gonna have an advantage. And so now that we're getting healthy, and you know, it takes it takes longer to recover from COVID than than fans realize, right? You know, so the guys that were sick, it, it's a good month before, you know, from the time they're diagnosed to getting back to where they're close to 100%. And mm -hmm. even then, you know, you can have some lingering things. And so, you know, I told him, look, we're going to get healthy. And when we're due, when we do, we're going to be the same team that beat the Nuggets, the Spurs, the Rockets with Harden, right? We're, you know, we were a good, good team that won four in a row. And so we're back to that team again. 
And so you just got to believe we're that good team. And they do. And we do. And I do. Right. And that's what I told them. And, you know, up until last night, it, it showed. <laughs> um, final question. Um, obviously, the NBA has partnered um, to donate, I think, what is it, 100 million over the next 10 years in, in whatever city that you guys are doing. How can, I guess, fans here in Dallas, because I, I asked Chris Paul and he didn't know anything about it either. Uh, it, but basically, how do how do people in Dallas specifically get to some of that stuff that you guys you've donated and the team has donated to? And um, to so three hundred million dollars from the NBA, and then we have the Mavs Foundation. So they're two different things, and there's a board of directors for the foundation for the that three hundred million through the NBA, and they make those decisions. So you'd have to go to the NBA, but you can contact the um, Mavs Foundation for anything, and we have a whole um, application process. So just Google Mass Foundation and you'll see there how to apply. Thanks, Mark. You got it, LB. Anytime. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.